0: Today
1: on Ag News Daily. Really slowed export demand and suggests that it may make it difficult to hit USDA's target for this year because of the relatively slow shipments compared to where they need to be. On the other hand, with crude oil prices going up
0: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast. After the Halloween, Weekend, it's Ashton Carr joined this Market Monday by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I feel like that was quite the intro. Better, I think, than the usual just welcome back message.
2: That's true. It's also November 1st today, which is absolutely crazy to think, Ashton.
0: It's Super crazy. I mean, we talk about how fast time goes by all the time here on the Ag News Daily podcast, and I just can't fathom that it's already November.
2: Neither can I. But yeah, yesterday was the end of October, and also, of course, Halloween. Did you do anything exciting for Halloween?
0: I did not do anything exciting. I went out with my friends on Saturday night, but didn't do any celebrating yesterday.
2: I didn't do a whole lot of anything for Halloween this weekend. I watched a few scary movies and dropped off candy to our nephews, and that's really about it. And that was totally fine with me.
0: I would have to agree with you there, Delaney. I feel like after the pandemic, it takes a whole lot of effort for me to go out and be social and actually do things, and it just brains me. So I haven't been doing a ton of that lately. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fair.
2: Can't say I've done a whole lot of that either. But I have to apologize. Of course, I was not on the podcast on Friday. It's been a little bit of a hectic schedule here for me. I was on a shoot last week with the Iowa Pork Producers Association's putting together some videos for their upcoming Pork Congress in January. So I'll be doing a little bit of traveling here and there. going to visit a good friend of the podcast, Tommy Grisofi in North Dakota later this week. So yeah. I'm certainly getting back out there. Uh, Ashton, the worst part I've got to say about traveling is not that I have to wear a mask. It's that I have to put on makeup and do my hair.
0: Oh, yeah, I am right there with you. I'm glad that when we record the podcast, we don't have to look at each other because right now I am so cold that I am bundled up in a little blanket. So I am sure that my hair, my makeup, nothing looks good right now because I'm just trying to keep warm.
2: I completely understand that is the season we're starting to get a little cooled off here. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what we get today as far as crop progress report goes, but we're recording the podcast ahead of that. So we'll have to share that on the podcast tomorrow, but Ashton, what other news do we have to share for today?
0: Well, we finally have an update coming from John Deere. Of course, they've been in that Strike. Their employees have been in that strike for some time now. And we've seen a little bit of movement here as Dear and Company and its union employees say that they've reached a tentative labor agreement that would potentially bring an end to the near three week strike. The UAW says the deal will enhance economic gains and provide the highest quality health care benefits. But they also say that they will not release details of the agreement that were talked about on Saturday and will continue to strike until it is reviewed and signed by employees. So nothing is set in stone just yet. As of Monday morning, this article was published a little bit earlier in the day, but you know, maybe by the end of today, hopefully this week, the strike will come to an end as they reach an agreement.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's been pretty hush-hush as far as what details have been released. I did see that it is going to be a tentative six-year agreement, so that would hopefully prevent them from striking for at least the next six years. However, you've got to keep in mind, Ashton, this is actually the second agreement, because the first agreement that they had a couple weeks ago was rejected by 90% of the union workers. So this labor agreement does impact just over 10,000 employees. Employees. And if those folks vote no on this newest deal, uh, that could mean we go back to the drawing board here.
0: And we've also seen some protests slash strikes from Brazilian truckers against a rise in fuel prices as they have not partially or totally blocked federal roads or any strategic logistic hubs. So it's um, not a huge issue right now, but they are protesting down there as well. So it seems like there are issues just all across the board.
2: There certainly are, Ashton. But here's an interesting piece of news for today. Saw this come out. A private survey that was put together by a couple of different folks looking at rural and urban population trends. Because as we know, COVID really has changed the way that a lot of folks think about where they want to live and work and so this was put together by a few different folks here one of which was Paulson and really it looks at an interviewed surveyed I should say about I want to say a couple hundred folks looking at really what they expect to see here as far as where they live moving forward and so really the big takeaway here from these results, Ashton, was that a lot of folks are looking to get back into rural living. Most folks are saying that, or of the folks surveyed, 66% of them polled said that they would consider moving to a rural home or rural subdivision. And we also saw that about 56% of those surveyed said that They will own one to five acres when they move or they'd like to own one to five acres when they move, uh, which is a little bit of a struggle, as we know, because we are continuing to compete for available farmland in rural America. Of the respondents that did respond, they also found that there were approximately three attitudes that Americans have regarding location, which I thought was interesting. About 26 percent of them see themselves as ruralists meaning that they intend to live a quote-unquote rural lifestyle. 41% of them said that they see themselves as urbanists, who are people that live in the city but would like to move into the country. And 33% of respondents didn't identify as having an identity one way or the other. But it's just interesting, you know, as we continue to categorize and characterize ourselves, uh, where you live is becoming more impactful overall.
0: Delaney, I don't know if it's just because I'm a little bit biased because I was raised in a rural community, but I definitely love being able to be out in the country and live on a few acres so I honestly don't blame those people who are wanting to do the same it's definitely a great environment to be in. But I'm going to kick things over here because we are seeing yet another legal battle here as Green Plains Incorporated is renewing their lawsuit against ADM. As they are saying, ADM manipulated the ethanol market. The lawsuit was filed last week in U.S. District Court in Nebraska, and it says that ADM conducted a scheme to illegally depress the ethanol cash spot market starting in November 2017 until 2019. Green Plain says that ADM used a three-step strategy that lowered prices at the Argo Terminal in Illinois by flooding the terminal with ethanol to lower the price. Now, back in August of this year, a federal court in Illinois dismissed a Green Plains lawsuit that argued the same claims. The court ruled that the company did not have standing to sue under the Commodity Exchange Act. The company says that it suffered damages through lost profits, diminishment in future earning capacity and reputational harm to its business and relationships. So, I am wondering if this new court, this other court, this new lawsuit is going to end up the same way as it did back in August of this year, or if we're going to see things move forward here. That is a good question, Ashton. I'm glad you saw that. I did not see
2: that piece of news, so I am glad you are staying on top of that there. But I have another piece of news coming to us from Court of the same vein there, looking at uh, the renewable market. And this story is coming to us from China. According to Reuters today, China said that they are going to make protein for livestock from carbon monoxide of all things. Chinese researchers have announced that they've found a way to produce an animal feed protein from which carbon monoxide is used to support the protein. Now, they don't go into a whole lot of detail here, but they said a portion of their soybean usage could be someday replaced by this synthetically made protein. And they've said that the Feed Research Institute of the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences alongside the Beijing Shulang Biological Technology, those are both mouthfuls there, have found a way to speed up a gas fermentation process to create a single cell protein that could be fed to animals. Sounds like their teams there have begun doing this process in a northern province in Hebei. And so far, they have said that they will be taking steelmaking tail gas and about turning that into about 5,000 tons of protein a year. So it's not going to be a huge supplier of protein in these initial phases. But as I mentioned there, their goal is to take up a portion of their soybean protein and eventually turn it into this carbon monoxide based protein. It's a little bit over my head as far as science goes, Ashton, but still pretty cool.
0: You know, Delaney, I saw this piece of news and I thought it was pretty cool as well. But at the same time, it kind of raises a red flag for me, at least on how the bodies, how the digestive systems of these animals will take to this protein and how it's really going to affect their performance. So that's just kind of a question that I had on my head on, you know, what that'll look like. Mm -hmm. Because Obviously this is synthetic. It's not, you know, the real deal, like a soybean protein. So I didn't know how I felt about it, to be honest.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. I'm sure they'll have to put out research that shows that because even if you know, this is doable. Does it supply their hog herd with the same nutrients that soybean protein would?
0: Yeah, it sounds like we're on the same page here, Delaney. Same mind. Absolutely. Well, I just feel like it's so fresh in my mind after being at
2: last week's Swine Survivability Conference still.
0: Well, Delaney, I don't have anything else to chat about today other than the markets. What about you?
2: I don't either, Ashton. Let's go ahead and take a look at where markets left us for today. And of course, as we enter into November, that also becomes delivery notice here for those folks who have some grain contracted for November. Let's kick things off here in the corn markets as the December corn contract today shot up 10 and 3/4 cents to close at 5.79. The March up 10 and 3/4 cents as well to close at 5.87. Now, as I mentioned there, of course, November soybeans go into delivery. Notice today the volume there will start to shrink as we tread through the month. So let's go ahead here and turn it over to the January contract. Down a penny today to close at 12.48 and a half. November 22 futures down three quarters of a cent to close at 12.39 and three quarters. Chicago wheat higher today as the December contract added 24.5 cents to close at 7.97 and a quarter. The March contract breaking above eight dollars to close at 8.08 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, we had a little bit of an ugly day today in the cattle complex. December live cattle shedding 42.5 cents today to close at 128.85. The February down 32.5 cents, closing the day out at 133.90. In feeder cattle today, another ugly sell-off as the January contract down $3.40 to close at $152.72.5. The March down $3.17.5 to close at $154.22.5. Lean hogs today, however, had some positivity as the December contract added 7.5 cents, closing at $76.15. The February up 12 cents 5 closing the day out at $78.80. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. November today up 18 cents, closing at 1868. The December up 18 as well to close at 1864. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Arlen Suderman for today's hashtag Market Monday conversation. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Market Monday discussion, we are joined today by Arlen Suderman, the Chief Commodities Economist there at Stonex. Arlen, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: It's great to be back with you, Delaney.
2: Absolutely. We certainly have no shortage of topics to talk about today, but Arlen, I want to just get your take here on The health of rural America, because as we continue to have these discussions weekly with analysts, we have ever changing dynamics when it comes to supply chain issues, when it comes to equipment issues. What's your take on it from where we sit today?
1: Overall, I think the health of the farm economy is relatively good. Now, keep in mind that uh, my experience spans more than four decades, and I remember the very dark days of the 1980s when we had uh, high double-digit uh interest rates and the land that was underwater, so to speak. Uh, in other words, farmers owed more on it than uh, than what it was currently worth. The value was dropping and it was very dark days in agriculture. So from that standpoint, agriculture is doing pretty well today. We've had some periods of higher prices that have certainly helped us get healthy financially. Now we're facing some challenges with high input costs. So the challenges are certainly increasing. We've been able to build up some equity going into this, but how we play, see things play out with input costs and input availability over the next six to nine months will say a lot about where we go from here.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see the acreage battle as we continue to watch how that story unfolds, especially on the fertilizer front. But Arlen, it seems like One of the key facets that continues to support the markets has been demand. And I know that's something you follow very closely when it comes to USDA inspections and shipments and sales. Where are we at as far as actual bushels of soybeans and corn inspected versus those that have been sold versus those that have actually left the U.S. shores?
1: Well, we have about 11.5 million metric tons of soybeans and corn, both, that are on the books to China that have not yet been delivered. And China has started to step up its purchases of soybeans a little bit more of late, um, but has quite a bit more business to do, we hope, uh, and is going to need to in order for us to hit USDA's target. On the corn side, we really don't expect them to buy much more corn now for a little while until we get into the first or second quarter of next year. Year. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on how China sees the longer term outlook. Um, the sense from our, my contacts in China was that they said, well, China will come back in and start buying when prices fall below $5. And I said, well, that's not likely to happen anytime soon with a high input cost. So they asked a lot of questions about the input costs, what's happening, how that's impacting planning decisions. And this was a conversation from 10 days to two weeks ago. And and um so they were very interested in, in that aspect. If they in fact see the risk for a global short corn crop in 2022 then they might step up the purchases earlier but right now there's just kind of putting away the local harvest which is pretty good has some quality issues and particularly the far northern parts of the belt but overall is a pretty good crop and then i think they'll start reassessing as we get into 2022 what they need in the way of corn
2: and Ireland, the other component that's really heavily playing into that demand picture has been where the U.S. dollar has been sitting. We've seen a lot of strength there lately, which, of course, does not really encourage exports. Uh, walk us through your outlook there.
1: Yeah, the dollar has largely been strong because investors, foreign investors, have been needing to buy the dollar in order to participate in our securities markets, because while well, our Treasury yields have been relatively low from a historical standpoint. They're still quite a bit higher than what they are, for say, example, in Europe or Japan, where they've been seeing negative rates. Now we anticipate going forward that we will see Europe start to raise its rates, giving a higher yield on the, the securities that they offer. That may start to slow the demand for U.S. dollars and allow the dollar to to fall lower. But the real challenge is what happens happens to U.S. yields. Um, Is the Fed going to continue its program of of easy money to try to hold those yields down or we'll find out later this week on Wednesday are they going to start tapering how aggressive will they taper that have a big impact on how fast our yields rise one of the factors at play there is right now the yields on treasuries are at a net negative when measured against inflation in other words people buying us treasuries would get less money for them than what the inflation rate is and so if the fed does slow its buying of assets and right now. Now, since the pandemic started, they have purchased nearly 60 percent of our government debt. Uh, Then we need to find other buyers for it, particularly if Congress passes another big spending package. In order to do that, they'd have to raise rates to attract those other buyers. So there's a lot of things at play here that could create a lot of volatility in the U.S. dollar in the months ahead that could impact commodity prices.
2: Absolutely. So let's dive right back in here to talking commodity prices, Arlen, because it seems safe to say we've probably put in a harvest low for the time being. But as far as current November crop soybeans are concerned, we enter November 1st now. What do you anticipate here as uh, the volume in the November month starts to dissipate?
1: Well, right now, the soybeans are driven by two factors that are two opposing factors. And one is a decline in demand out of China with the poor feeding margins that is really slowed export demand and suggests that it may make it difficult to hit USDA's target for this year because of the relatively slow shipments compared to where they need to be. On the other hand, with crude oil prices going up, there's been a big focus on the new renewable fuels that are made out of edible oils. And so we've seen palm oil go to record high prices, canola oil playing with record high prices, soy oil close behind, not at record high prices yet. But really pushing higher and that has helped support soybeans. And, and then you add on to that, the fact that corn acres are expected to be down next year, not only in the United States, but globally. Um, and that means soybean acres higher. So the trade's really trying to get a sense now of the value of soybeans because of these opposing forces. Corn is generally going up faster than soybeans because of this. We're seeing the soybean corn price ratio narrow closer. To two to one, which would help try to protect corn acres amid high fertilizer prices. Um, but the soy oil value, which keeps rising and trending higher, is preventing the soybean market from just utterly collapsing.
0: Marlon, I want to talk about weather here, and I want to talk about weather in particular to South America, because we're seeing some rain in some key parts of Brazil and Argentina in the first week of November here. So what does that really mean from a market standpoint?
1: Well, Brazil rains have been relatively good. Yes, there are pockets that have missed out on the rains, but overall, the soybean belt has had one of its better spring seasons for them in the southern hemisphere for planting and establishing soybean crop that we've had over the last 40 years so right now we're on target to have a good soybean crop in brazil if this pattern holds it's very early in the growing season right now think of it as being like the month of may uh, or early june here in the united states Argentina is a different story with La Nina continuing to strengthen. It's leaned on the dry side, similar to what we saw a year ago. The big difference is is we're still seeing periodically every few weeks we get some rain showers come through that are just in time to kind of keep the crop going. So the question is, will that continue or not? That'll really have a big determination on whether Argentina and maybe southern Brazil and Paraguay have a short crop or not versus Brazil overall, which is expected to have a good crop. Obviously, a short crop would mean higher soybean values. A big crop would mean lower values.
0: And then Arlen here, I want to kick things back over here talking about cotton because at least in December cotton in particular, we saw some three-digit numbers and we actually reached that uh, contract high. I believe it was last night and broke that October 8th. Record. So, what's going on in cotton? Why are we seeing this trend of sorts?
1: Well, first of all, cotton is benefiting from this broader broad-based buying of the commodity sectors on inflation expectations is kind of a hedge against inflation. Added to that, it does have a fundamental story as well. Um, we've seen a big increase in demand for U.S. cotton from China tightening up supplies. So that has been good on the demand side. And from a from a supply situation, the market is also trying to make sure that cotton does its job in competing with the other crops to make sure it has enough acreage for next year. In, in 2022 so that combination but really the everything has been amplified by the amount of money coming into the commodity markets as an inflation play
2: harlan i want to switch over here and talk livestock for a moment because it seems like december live cattle are having a hard time finding their footing are we going to start to see some consolidation here do you think we're going to break out one way or the other
1: yeah it was really disappointing to see what we saw at the end of last week and the start of this week. Uh, we tried to start higher on Monday but still felt that pressure by the end of the day uh, Thursday and Friday last week really felt like kind of a, a rolling of the lead contract from October to December, but yet we couldn't get any momentum started in the December contract either as we look at slaughter the last couple of weeks we've had some tremendous slaughter rates um, that have been very good we've seen good demand for beef product, uh, both domestically and export. Uh, The problem has continued to be the lack of leverage by the feeder with packer capacity limiting slaughter. But the last two weeks, it's really felt like we've got more current and we've improved things. But the funds are still selling off this market. Part of what gave them the ability to do so is the fact that December contract is already trading at a three to four dollar premium to where the cash market is at. But overall, this market's still finding some decent support and we're still trending higher.
2: What about in the feeder cattle markets? I mean, we took a pretty big nosedive today in January feeders.
1: Yeah, feeder cattle demand has certainly been hurt by the higher corn prices. And I think that was probably a factor that eventually pulled the fat cattle market down as well. But feeder demand going down as feed prices go up, and that's that's really tightening or crimping the feeding margins in the feedlot for the, those who are buying these cattle lighter weight cattle and putting them on feed.
2: All right. lastly, let's wrap up here and just touch on lean hogs here for a moment. Got some green on the screen today, but uh, same question there. You know, are we going to start to see some consolidation? We've also been a little bit all over the board lately in the lean hog market.
1: Yeah, we really have. And I think consolidation is probably an appropriate word to use at this point. Uh, We had some, really some fundamentals going against us with seasonal supplies increasing and demand seasonally decreasing. Uh, And also some concerns within that was the supply of hogs increased that we would run into some uh, packer capacity constraints here as we get another 30 days or so down the road. And uh, so a lot of pressure on this market. We've come down a long ways. But here recently, we've seen a pickup in demand for the product once again. Product prices starting to stabilize. Uh, the hope is that that will eventually stabilize the cash market and bring about some stability to this market. As we look at the December contract and the cash hog index, the contracts are already trading below the cash index. That's providing a little bit of support. But the market's really trying to consolidate in here after the bounce that we saw at the end of last week trying to find an area of, of balance with weaker exports, especially to China, uh, but some pretty decent domestic demand yet. We have saw some good demand for hams come in on the break, especially from Mexico. Overall, the rest of the product market has found some support on the recent break in prices as well. Hopefully, this is the beginning of building a floor in the market as we head into the holiday season.
2: Fantastic, Arlen. Before we let you go, if folks want to keep in touch with you, follow along with you on social media, how can they follow you?
1: Well, then go to stonex.com on our website or over on social media and Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A R L A N F F 101.
2: Fantastic, Arlen. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today chatting markets.
1: Thank you, Delaney.
0: again there to Arlen for coming on and chatting markets with us today. Definitely a good one after the uh, long weekend, Delaney.
2: It certainly is great to get back in the swing of things here, chatting markets on this Market Monday episode. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow with a fantastic Tech Tuesday interview, so folks, do stay tuned. But if you've been missing us, you can follow along with us on social media. Find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Ash, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.